0: In his word in Romans 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Abby. This is... Uh the second service in a row that somebody has left a fork and wrapped in plastic for me on this pulpit. And I just want you to know that I hear you loud and clear. It's time for me to stop eating. I totally get it. I've been eating since Thanksgiving. Every time I'm like, this Thanksgiving is gonna be different. I'm just gonna eat at Thanksgiving. And then that whole period, I'm not gonna treat it like one big Thanksgiving, you know, up and through uh, January one, and then sometimes through January 20th or so. So I get it. Whoever did it, I get it. I feel corrected. It probably was just God that just said it there. You know, I don't know. Anybody else? Uh, Hey, uh, so funny. Uh, There's no telling what's going to, now it's going to become a thing. It's like every single Sunday, there's going to be something on the pulpit. Uh, Hey, glad to be with you guys. My name is Ben. Uh, If I haven't met you, I really am glad that you'd be here. Um, We talk a lot about it, but my goodness, I just want you to know that If this is your first time to our church, um, or any church, it is, um, it's a big deal to us. We're honored that you would be here to take a day off, uh, and take a morning on your day off to come and uh, be at church with us. So really grateful you're here. If you have questions about anything that we say, anything that we do, uh, we probably do things a little bit different than maybe what you're used to. If you're used to church, we would love to explain them. It's all intentional. It's all about worshiping Jesus. It's all about trying to follow him. So. Uh, today we're going to be in Romans 12. And let me just give you a little bit of a roadmap uh, for today and then what's coming down the pipe for us. We preach through, um, we're preaching through Romans 12 today. We're going to start a series next week that'll be a four-week series on basically like what does Frontline Church believe. And the reason we want to do that to kind of kick off the new year is because it's, it's easy to forget sometimes, even for our covenant members, like, okay, what are, what are we about Um, and just the way that we feel like the Bible has the instruction that it's given us, uh, as far as the way we should do church. So we're going to, we're going to talk about multiplying gospel community, what discipleship is, what true gospel community is, not just community, but gospel community. Uh, we're going to talk about loving God and loving people. What does it mean to follow Jesus and then, and then to be a part of the church. And then we're going to talk about pushing back darkness. What does it mean to be missional? Not just to be people that just kind of hub, you know, huddled up. And don't think about anybody else around us. We want to be people that serve uh, the world around us and, and tell people about the gospel. So that'll be um, the next four weeks. Um, and then after that, we'll start our Feminine Virtue series. And again, like, like Pastor Pat said, um, look, the, the, the current of culture, I don't have to convince you this, but it's crazy. I mean, nobody even knows what to believe because beliefs change every 10 minutes and cool changes every 10 minutes. So we can't really chase that at all. So we got to go to the designer who designed man, who designed woman, who designed male and female, and he wrote a book for us. God designed us, so we're going to go to this book and see what does it mean to be a woman of God that stands, um, that follows Jesus, that embraces uh, her femininity, and um, anyway, so we did that last year with men. We're going to do that again in the next few weeks, so we'll be praying for that. All right. Romans 12, first sermon of 2024, we're gonna go through this entire chapter, all of Romans 12, we just read a couple of verses, uh, but I wanna invite you to open your Bible to Romans chapter 12, and if you need to go to the table of contents, feel free to do that, it'll tell you the page number, or if you need to open your book, to I mean, your, your phone to Romans 12, uh, please open your phone. Maybe you don't have a Bible and you want one, we will give you a Bible today, and if none of that works, we'll have the, it on the screen as well. So there's multiple ways you can follow along. The question that I'm asking for myself, I'm asking for our church, and I want you to ask today, what does it mean to truly be a Christian? What does it mean to truly be a Christian? Not a cultural Christian, not someone who just goes to church because that's just kind of what you do in Oklahoma, but a true Christian, one who truly does follow Jesus. A simple answer is this, this is one of the ways that we identify true Christianity. We're people who want to grow. We're not opposed to growth. We're not in opposition to being corrected or maturing or whatever. We're not scared of asking the question of like, what in me needs to change? Because it's a fact that if you follow Christ, He will transform you. That's part of following Christ. And the fact that you even need a savior means that you need to change. Amen. So what does it mean to be a true Christian, not just a cultural Christian, not just someone who says, looks, says the right thing, looks, smells like whatever, a Christian, but is an actual internal and external Christian follower of Christ. It means that we press on towards maturity. Paul talks about this in Philippians three, not that I have obtained it, but I press on, I press on the apostle. Paul had to say, I press on. So we need to press on. That's what true Christianity is. And as I look at what God has done in our church, which he did a lot in our church in 2023, um, synopsis is this is like we baptized at least triple the amount that we've ever baptized in this church before, I think that's maybe quadruple, but a lot of people, um, but I look back and I go, man, God has really deepened us. He grew us and there's a lot of pain that we walked through. There's a lot of stuff that God did in this church last year, but the worst thing that we could do as a church, and if you're a member of this church, please perk up to this. The worst thing that we could do as a church is to go, mission accomplished. We did it. We had a great year. It's time for 2024 to be a year that we just sort of take it easy. And we just look at what God has done and we only look back. According to the Bible, that is, that's actually a way for us to start digressing and not progressing. True Christianity means that we pursue maturity. And Romans 12 gives us the blueprint for that. We're going to look today in Romans 12 about what what it truly means to be a Christian in maturity towards ourselves, how we view ourselves, how we view each other in the church, and how we view the outsider, okay? So the first thing is this. True Christianity is individual maturity. Or better, maybe you could write in your notes there, true Christianity is pursuing individual maturity. He says this to start out. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He says this, present your bodies. This is both individual body and also corporate body. The Bible talks about the church as the body of Christ, but it also talks, has a lot to say about your actual body, which means more than just your physical body. It also means your emotions, it means your spirit, it means all of those things, and it matters. So we've got now individual body and corporate body. Present your body. Present your body as a living sacrifice, which also means the church present the church, meaning this, the way that we worship God is through presenting ourselves as a sacrifice to God. It's not just singing, which we talk about a lot in our church is like, if I were to ask you, how do you worship God? you go like, well, I sing these three songs or whatever. Well, it's not that. The definition according to the Bible is true spiritual worship of God is presenting your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. It means physical maturity. It means spiritual maturity. It means practical maturity, and then it also means this, mental maturity. Mental maturity. It's true enough that when God saves us, he gives us a new heart, that's true. The Bible says that we had a heart of stone, meaning your heart was dead. You had nothing to offer, it wasn't beating. But when God saves you, he takes out the dead heart and puts in a heart of flesh that beats now and is alive. So essentially this, you never had a heart that, that beat before God, but when God's, you were only dead, but when God saved you, he made your heart alive. That's the gospel. Well, I think it's interesting that this says don't be transformed by the renewal of your heart. No, your heart is renewed, that's sealed. That if you're a Christian, that is a sealed thing forever. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind how we think, what we, the conclusions that we come to. How many of us know that the anxiety that comes into our mind, like that is the battleground. When our mind starts to go crazy, when we start to think all sorts of things. And Philippians 4 says this, finally brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, that's a long list. Look at what it says. Think about these things. Think about them. True and pure and commendable and just. and Think about them. Which leads me to say this. We are in a culture and we are wrapped up in, uh, it's hard to say it's a reality because it's not a real reality, but This idea that our emotions should dictate the will of God in our life. It shouldn't. I think, I want us to be people that are mature in our emotions that don't avoid them. You can't be mature in anything if you avoid it. I want in this church for us to be people that go, okay, it matters what we feel. That stuff matters. But what we can't do is be led by them. To be transformed by the renewal of your mind means that you have a sobriety about you. That we go, I know I feel this way, but God's word says this. So I'm going to do this. Paul in Philippians 4 says, let your reasonableness be known to all men. Reasonability. The Bible talks about being sober-minded, not sober-hearted, sober-minded, to be able to think straight. The other thing that maturity is, is maturity is in commitment. It says that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That by testing, it's this question that we're gonna, I'm gonna ask you to put on the screen, um, this question of what does God want me to do? You ever think about the will of God in your life? You ever ask that question like, what does God want me to do? First off, every Christian, this should be the question that you ask a lot. This should be the question that oversees your life, not what do I want, but what does God want me to do if you follow Jesus? Of course. But we get so hung up here, we think that this should come with some sort of like fireworks or emotion or whatever it is. And this clearly tells us, by testing, you may discern the answer to this question. Well, what does that mean? It means simply this. To test something means that you stay put long enough in order to know the outcome, in order to know how God works. It means being faithful and committed to God. But also, if you are to test this church, some of you are doing that now. You've been attending for a while. You said, let me test it to just make sure they're not crazy, which by all means, please do. We are actually probably a little crazy. I don't, uh, you know, I hate to tell you. By testing a church or testing a thing, you're learning like, is it, is it worthwhile? Is it mature? Is it whatever? This says in your life, in order to test something, you have to stay in it. Do You understand what I'm saying? You have to stay faithful. You can't just test one thing and move to the next and move to the next and move to the next. You have to stay with something. So by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Another way that we test anything is with people around us that have also tested. That's why you should never, ever try to do your life alone. Never. I know there's single people in the room, I'm one of them. Don't live your life alone. You need other people that have tested. You need other people that have said, I, I thought this, but then God did this and I think the Bible says this. It all works together. Stay faithful and committed stop chasing emotions as God's will. The amount of times throughout my ministry life that people have come to me and said things like, I remember one in particular, years ago, a man that just abruptly was leaving the church. he goes, hey, this is our last Sunday, covenant faithful people. And we're like, excuse me? Your last Sunday, he was like, look, man, when God tells us to go, we go. It's like, well, I, there is nothing in the Bible to that, that says that you should just abruptly leave and have no accountability in your life at all. There's nothing. So God's not telling you something that's contr- contrary to his word. You understand what I'm saying? Like, you can't, you can't let your emotions, you can't let whatever you, whatever you feel in a moment to be dictated, by that, that becomes blasphemy to say that God told me, but I, really, you just want to do it. Testing around others that tested to discern what is the will of god and how you know it is what is good and acceptable and perfect perfect being jesus what looks like him humility maturity and humility it says in verse three for by the grace given to me i say to everyone among you this not to think um, of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment I love that sober judgment comes after humility, which is so important. Why are we so frenetic, frantic? Why are we so all over the place? What is the reasoning? It's easy for us to say, well, it's anxiety, possibly. I mean, that's the quick diagnosis. Or it's just like, maybe it's uh, technology, maybe it's whatever it is, maybe we're just all over the place. Why are we so all over the place? Well, according to this, it starts with our pride. Humility first. Everyone among you not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, because we know this, that insecurity and arrogance are two sides of the same coin. They're still like what C.S. Lewis would say, it's not that a man should think uh, less of himself, it's that he ought to think of himself less. Isn't it interesting that sober judgment comes after our hearts are fixed before God? The second thing I want you to see is this. The first, um, true Christianity is uh, maturity individually. It's pursuing individual maturity. The second is it's pursuing maturity towards the church. It means seeing yourself as a part of the whole. Paul goes on to say this in verse 4. For as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. You see the pattern, it's, be transformed by renewal of your mind, humility, letting your mind, let your mind think on the right things, think with sober judgment, then that leads your heart to humility to go like, well, I'm not actually a super Christian. I'm not actually made to do this whole thing by myself. Let me give you the memoirs of a pastor real quick. It is just in this part of the world, maybe you have already thought this, maybe it's subconscious, I don't know. But it's an assumed thing that the pastor have, has already like mastered the Christian life. And it's also assumed that the pastor, in order for him to stay up and talk about something, surely he's become an expert in that thing. Well, I preached the whole Bible. If that's true, do you really think that I'm standing up here going, I'm an expert in Christianity. I totally have it under wrap. I know exactly, I have figured out how to be perfect. I'm like, I feel like any morning I'll wake up, I'm gonna have a glorified body and I'm gonna be off to heaven. And it's, I'm gonna be like one of those in the Old Testament that the Lord didn't even, I didn't even die. just, what, what a crazy what a crazy notion. You, we are members of one body. I'm a member of this church. I have a role within the church. It's not more important than your role. And some of us are not, you know, there's several in the room that have roles that are, that are functioning in those roles, but yours is just as important as mine. It's seeing ourselves as not special or professional Christians. It's just going, hey, the fact is, is that you need a savior. And so do I. And we don't, you don't need one more than me. We need one exactly the same. Without Jesus, we are destined to death, eternal death. That's what being a part of the church is. It's not seeing ourselves more highly than we ought. It's though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. It means not sitting on the sideline. Church of Christ is a requirement for everyone. Being a part of it is a requirement. Uh, Verse six, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. You have different gifts than I do. Gifts of prophecy and service and teaching and exhortation and generosity. And it goes on and lists all these things, gifts of leadership and mercy. And then at the end of this little section, go back and read it later. It says, do it all with cheerfulness. Use your gifts, different than mine, but just as important. It means that we should pay attention to how we treat each other. And I love this little section here. I would ask you to, the best you can, to memorize it. It's um, two verses. Write it down, laminate it, email it, text it. I don't know, put it on the wall somewhere. This is what I want our church to, to, to memorize and strive to become this. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. I'm gonna get you to fill in the blank because I want us to hear this. Ready? Let love be, come on now. We're gonna do that one more time. Let love be genuine, genuine not fake. Not fake. I'm not here to play church. You're not, we don't wanna play church. We're not here to be fake people. We're not here to just like, I mean, what a lame thing to do, if I'm being honest. To just be here because we have nothing better to do. Let love be genuine. That means that you have to embrace vulnerability. You have to embrace honesty. You have to embrace that with other people. That means that you don't gossip about people. That means that you talk highly about them. That means that you have affection for them. That means that you do the work, the, the work of, of humility towards your own pride to go like, "Wait a minute." I was lost, but now I'm found. A man cannot go and find himself. If he's lost, God found you because God is good. And if you have that reality as like the foundation for your life, then you can treat people better than you treat yourself. You can treat people, you can outdo one another showing honor. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another showing honor. Uh, I love this term affection, it it denotes a feeling, it's an emotion. Well, genuine love, fake love isn't affection at all. Affection is an attribute of a pure heart before God, which in turn leads to a pure heart versus people, no matter how messy they are, or you are. (laughs) There's no room for division and gossip in a world where people have affection for one another. Think about the people you have affection for. Think about that feeling affectionate, do you want to slander them? No. That's what the Bible says that we should do towards people in the church. So that means everybody, no matter how messy they are, they're totally welcome here, and we're gonna be with them because we're messy too. It means that we should pay attention to our passion. This next verse, I love it, it says, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in the spirit, Serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. This is not a suggestion, it's a command. Do not be slothful in zeal. We talked about that word a lot in our church the past two or three weeks, but zeal translated loosely means red faced. It's the kind of passion that makes the blood rush to your head. It's usually talked about in defense. It's like any, any dad in the room, when I talk about your kids, you get, you get defense, your wife, whatever. Any mom in a room will talk about your kids. Same. It's a type of defense. It's that like zeal, that zealousness that says, "I want to defend them at all costs, it, it, even if it means my life. I will defend my family." Do not be softful in red-faced defense in passion. Be fervent in the spirit. Well, that's an interesting thing because how is it that you can? This is this is implying that not being slothful in zeal, that we can choose to be zealous. That's what it's implying. I mean, there's no way around it. It says, don't be slothful in zeal. Well, how do we do that? Be fervent in the spirit. It's this. Being zealous means being connected to the Holy Spirit. And my question for you would be this. How's your prayer life? How's your life with the Spirit of God? I know how mine is, I know how mine isn't. (laughs) What is it like when you pray? You know what James says about our prayers? It says that um, when you pray you don't receive because you pray in vain, meaning this, you pray prayers that only feed your carnality, only feed your consumerism. So it's like, God, will you help me win the lottery? <laughs> I don't know. And those types of things, it's like, well, I, why don't you pray, Jesus actually told us how to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray for your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. How's your prayer life? How's your spirit life? Don't be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit serve the Lord. I'm just here to tell you today that spirit life matters. Some of the reason why we've lost our passion that we feel so mundane and we feel like we don't want to follow the Lord. And one, it's like commitment is commitment, whether you feel it or not, but putting ourselves in the chair to say, I feel out of sorts. I don't feel like anything, but this tells me I can be transformed by the noodle of my mind and I want to be fervent in spirit, meaning that I keep showing up. I keep showing up to pray like God change my heart, help me lead me. I had a buddy of mine that that always says, um, if you want to catch the train, you don't go to your front porch. You go to the train station. And it's the same thing with God, like what we do is we talk about a lot here with our team, is we stack the wood. That's our job, is to stack the wood, is to go get a piece of wood and stack it and go, Lord, will you send down fire? Does it make sense? So you get, you sit in the, the chair of prayer. I mean, it's a euphemism, but you, you get what I'm saying. It's like, I'm not, you, you put yourself in a position. You go, God, I want you. God, help me. God, come on, show me. And then, and then all of a sudden what you get is you get the presence of God. And that's a game changer. Be fervent in the spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. That's not hard to do. It's not hard to rejoice when we're hopeful. But be patient in tribulation. Those are two things that are hard to do together. And then be constant in prayer. It means being a life of prayer. Praying in the car, at work. And do like me, it's like sometimes I don't even know what to pray. I just go, God, I need your help. Will you help me? The other day, um, I was cutting up a bunch of wood. I still have you know, wood left over from a tornado in my yard. And I, anyway, I was cutting it up. And um, the whole time I was like thinking about how much I miss God. I mean, how much I just personally like the cinema or the, the things that I've struggled with or my mindsets or whatever it is, just, just cutting and going, Lord, I, please just be with me. Help me. Fill up my house. Change me. I don't want to be like, I don't want to, you know, in a year be like I am today. Will you please grow me? Just that. It's not just a prayer meeting, but a prayer life. The last thing is this, true Christianity is maturity towards the non-church. All right, true Christianity is pursuing maturity individually. It's pursuing maturity with the church. And then it's also pursuing maturity towards the non-church. Listen to this, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. It's a double statement there that's rare for Paul to make. Bless those who persecute you. And basically what he's saying is like, in case you didn't hear me, what you want to do is curse them. But I'm telling you to bless them. Bless and do not curse them. Your enemies, those who say terrible things about you, those who lie about you, those who are out to get you, that's your enemy. You know what the Bible says that we should do? That word translated bless means this. Um, to speak well of, to speak well of, or to speak well to, face to face. I tend to think about it this way, probably the way that you do as well. I'm like, doing pretty good. I've got enemies. They curse me, but I just don't say anything. I just stand there and, and I'm just playing the game at that point. I'm like, well, look how good I'm gonna look and believe me, I've had on People that lie, make up things about me. Especially several years ago in this church, it had a moment where there was a lot of that being said. Just lies. I've experienced it like you have. And my whole thing is like, well, somebody comes to you and they say, you know, so-and-so said about you. And I go, well, hope they have a blessed life. It's like, and then I walk away going, I am Such a blessing. Bless and do not curse them. Bless means to speak well of. You know how that would play out? If I'm following Romans 12, it would mean this. It would mean I would feel it. I would have affection for them. And that happens over time. I've had it happen in my life. To where someone comes and says, somebody said something, they saying this, they're saying well. And then I go, man, I hope that's not true. I love them. I believe that God loves them and I would meet with them today. I've seen that happen in my life. That's ble- that's saying something good to go like I, I love that person and I I believe in them. Can you imagine what this world would be like? Like why wouldn't we why wouldn't it be that way in the church? Why? Bless and do not curse them. In verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty but associate with the lowly. See how so much of this is talking about your pride. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, and to the contrary. If your enemy is hungry feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I, what I love is this is the way I was growing up for me is like my family would just, they would just memorize parts of the scripture that they thought that one verse would apply to them. It's like, well, I'm going to feed my enemy because I want to put burning coals on his head. Like, you know what? That's in there, true enough, but you're missing the entire rest of the chapter. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. This is humility. And when you start to think about what you deserve again, but what you're not getting, You're not getting the kind of punishment, the kind of death, the kind of wrath that you deserve. You're getting the opposite of that. This is actually describing exactly what Jesus has done for us. Do not be haughty, seek God for wisdom. Proverbs 9 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Don't you think that Jesus follows all of this to a T? Repay no one evil for evil. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Doesn't this look like Jesus? Who said to Pilate, if I wanted to, I could call down legions of angels right now. He's letting him know, I have all authority. I am not who you think I am, I am Elohim. But he doesn't. He models Romans 12 perfectly for us. And you are a true Christian, a Christ follower. You follow him. True Christian is mature towards the non-church. That means that we look around the world and we don't go like, these are our enemies. We go, no way, no, let me not, let me not repay evil for evil. Let me pray for them. Let me bless and do not curse them. Let me be people who are a missional people. My fear for our church is, again, thank God, man, We need to celebrate, we need to thank God for the baptism, for all of that work that has been done in us. But the problem is gonna be this, if we stop moving forward, we're gonna start going backwards. So why don't we treat last year like it's just normal for us and let's get to work. I used to play chess, believe it or not. I know it's hard to imagine that I did. I just heard several people laugh, snicker. I made a note, who you are. I used to play chess, love that game. One of my favorite games of all time. There's a situation in chess called a stalemate. And a stalemate is basically when you cannot take a king, when a king cannot be taken, but you've technically won, but you can't officially win because the king has never been taken. It's called a stalemate. And what sometimes I think what we believe is that Christianity is a stalemate, but it's not. There's no such thing as a stalemate. You're even either moving forward or backward. So because the world is constantly pressing in on us and our flesh and the devil is constantly pressing in on us. Like what we wanna be as people is that go, that counter that by pursuing Christ. And one of the ways that we counter that is by not navel gazing, not just looking at ourselves and going, okay, what do I need to be comfortable? What kind of church makes me comfortable? What Kind of whatever it is. What kind of people makes me comfortable? What kind of community group makes me comfortable? I need to find a group that looks like me, acts like me, lives like me, and then guess what? It's just you're only perpetuating the same ideals nobody's ever challenged. That's detrimental. We need to be people that look outside of that, that don't play the us for no more game, that tell the gospel to people who are lost, they get to know people who don't know Jesus, that have the uncomfortable conversations to say, hey, you need Jesus. Come on, go to church with me, whatever. Church that is in association with the outsiders, lacking maturity. We wanna pursue justice and peace in this world, but what we gotta give people is this, is that peace is a person. You need Jesus. We have to tell them the reality, and I'm telling you today the reality is this, is that you were not made to die. Do you understand that? You, you, are, you are given immortality, a soul. Meaning this, like, what happens after this life, it, this, this life is not the end for you, no matter if you know Christ or not. There's either you're sitting under the weight of God's eternal wrath towards sin, or you're in eternal life with Jesus because you've trusted him to take care of your sin. That's it. Now, if that's true and God, and if it's also true that God is sovereign over your life, and that. He, he's put people around your life, then isn't it also true that he's put you there so that you could tell them the news? They need Jesus. I'm telling you, it, it, it just, this is, it's a dangerous game to go like, okay, I'm doing great, I'm gonna be comfortable. There's no such thing. We need to pursue those people in our life. Immaturity would stop and admire the work. We should take time to thank God and celebrate. I mean, we're going to. I, I love all the work that God has done in this church, but last I checked, Jesus has not descended. He's not back yet. We've got work to do. So look, I, my hope is that at the end of 2024, we are more mature than we were at the end of 2023. And I, this is, a, I think, I'm probably biased, I'm definitely biased, I guess, the pastor, but this is a very mature church. It's a, it's a healthy church. Um, it's a godly church. I'm so proud of this church. I'm proud to be a member here. I, I, there's, we've got issues, but man, by and large, like we're, we're trying to learn to follow Jesus. We love the Lord. We love each other. God did a lot of great work in us in 2023, but I, I wanna invite you to pray with me and do the work in 2024 Do we go like, hey, let's press on. Let's be like Paul who says, I press on. Press on. I haven't, cha- I haven't attained it yet. I press on towards the prize, the upward call of God in Christ. Amen. All right, let's stand. If you're serving communion, go ahead and come down. If you're a baptized,